This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, Georgie, check for Dadsy. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. <laughs> only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in terms supply. See mcdonalds.com. Leicester City have a penalty kick in the sixth minute of injury time. Injury time, injury time. Look out, takes, Almunia saves, knock out, follows in, Almunia saves again. And now Wapner on the counter attack. Forestieri. Oh, I don't believe this. Here's Hawk. Dini! I do not believe what I've just seen. Troy Dini has scored from a Leicester penalty that was saved by Almunia. Do not scratch your eyes. Do not scratch your eyes. Do not scratch your eyes. Listening to the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast. I'm Justin. I'm Colt. And I'm Peter. And we're taking and giving questions on this podcast. Do you want to explain about the asking questions or giving questions part, Peter? Yes, we let's face it, we don't stand for much around here. I think we have very little standards, very low standards if there are any, and and very few values. But one thing that we do insist upon is if we've got a platform and people want to talk on it, we let you. Basically, it's it's your platform, hopefully. And that's why the Twitter spaces, we won't ban anybody when all of that sort of stuff is important. But we thought there may be a way for us to, uh, to, to increase the number of voices of fans that we can get. And so at the bunker, for it was the second time of trying, because let's face it, first time of trying, I couldn't work out how to turn the microphone on successfully. <laughs> this is the level of idiocy we're talking about here. But, but last, uh, last week for the Leicester game, before the bunker, I decided to come up with the crappiest question in the world and and see what people thought. And here's what people thought. Talking about my microphone? <laughs> Does it do rectal examinations? Play your cards right, it may well do. Here we are, we're in the bunker. They're playing Secret Affair on my world. My son is looking at what? Look on the face of, oh, for fuck's sake. I don't care. It's Ken. It's Ken, everybody. Oh, this is amazing. Ken's just walked in. Ken's Willie Eckers like. We bought this microphone thing to uh, to find out from more people down at the bunker where they think today's question is. Where do you think we're going to finish at the end of the season? We're currently in we're currently in purgatory or eleventh or wherever it is. Where do you think we're going to finish at the end of the season? Let's go, to Steve. I need a number between one and twenty-four. A thirteen. Steve says thirteenth. I turn to Mel. Where are we going to finish? Twelfth. Twelfth. Optimism. Gary, where are we going to finish? I'll go with twelfth as well. Twelfth. Willie Eckers like, or with Ken, where are we going to finish? We're getting better. I'm going to say 11th. <laughs> say 11th. Oh, we're, we're, we're all thinking that's exactly, it's all about the middle ground. Where, where do we think we're going to finish, sir? About 11th, yeah. About 11th. This question's going down like a cup of cold sick, isn't it? Oh, hold on. We've got, we've got some. Yeah, wait a minute. We, we don't prejudice against the deluded in this podcast. Let's, uh, sir, where do you think we're going to finish? Sixth. Sixth. On the basis of? We're awesome. Brilliant. And what precisely are you drinking? <laughs> This is why we come down to the bunker. You've got to have a bit of faith, even though they're not playing very well at the moment. You've just got to have a bit of faith. And fingers crossed, we'll get there. We need more faith and fingers crossed. This is good. I like this very much. I'm going to go find other people who I can annoy my, my son with by walking around. So here we are. We're now outside of the bunker, and I'm here with Neil, Nelly Connor. Today's question is, what position do you think we're going to finish in? I'm going for fifth. 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 We've, we've had a sixth. We thought he was going to be committed, but Nelly, I'm going to turn to Faye. Nelly's door. What position do you think we're going to finish? Number between 24 and one. <laughs> Eighth. Eighth. There you go. More positivity. There you go. Faye, thank you very much. Sorry, I'm, lo- I'm looking at somebody who resembles Carlos, but with a much darker beard than normal. Just saying. Mr. Alan Lathwell, I'm asking everybody here the question, where do you think we'll finish end of the season? What position? Anywhere between first and 24th. 
That's the, could could you narrow it down to maybe a single number? Probably about 12th or 13th, to be honest. Excellent. Now yeah, t- that's probably realistic our position given what resources we've got at the minute. That's very good. And now I turn to your next door neighbour, who is uh, a Leicester fan. And where do you think you're going to finish come the end of the season? First. Yeah, that was said with the confidence of somebody. I have to live next door to him. (laughs) Honestly. I thought that was realism. In May, I'm going to move out for about three months. (laughs) As as neighbours, are are you unbearable to live with when Leicester are doing well? I think I'm more unbearable to live with when we're not doing well. That's it. You're doing all right then in that case. We wouldn't let you. Know, we, we wouldn't know how you are when we're doing well because we're Watford fans. But never mind. Let's let's go over to. I'm going to ask Carlos. He of the of that very natural looking beard. I have to say, it looks very good. No, no, it's very good. Where do you think we're going to finish end of the season? What position? I said on the podcast, if we if you give me top ten, I'll be over the moon. But I think after, after this could go really pear shaped. So I'm going to say. It might have been you said 14th. I'm going to say, yeah, around 14th. 14th. That's very good. By the way, uh, if you do want any beard tips, I can help you. Thank you very much. (laughs) I I may need those. Let's go across. I'm going to come across to Steve, who I met the other day. How are you doing? I'm very good. We're we're recording for the podcast and just annoying everybody generally (laughs) and asking, what position do you think we're going to finish end of the season? 14th. 14th. 12th. 12th. More optimism. We've had a range between 14th. After last week. Some people have said 5th. Don't worry, they've been removed to a safe place. That's fine. <laughs> so, sir. Oh, me. What, what position do you think we're going to finish in the league? Bearing in mind, you are always one of life's legendary optimists. Hello, everyone. I would say <laughs> mid-table, Peter. And I think you know it's... And the position? Doggy. No, I think it's going to be tenth, probably. That's my most optimistic guess. Yeah, that's actually more optimistic than most. This is quite impressive. What is it? Mr. Carl Campion, sir. Where, what position do you think we'll be? Give me a number between one and 24. Justin went above at mid-table because he said tenth. So I'm going 13th. 13th. What position? 14th. There we go. What I think is interesting is that it's not my choice of question, which was a shocker. Everybody's going, 11th, why are you asking? Go away. And I can fully understand yeah. that. Except for Carl, who just wanted to give me beard tips, which I don't like. For anybody's information, basically, yes, I have a goatee beard to basically show people where my chin would be if I didn't have eight of them. But never mind. It was it was like everybody was quite there – there was a level of realism about it. We know what we've got. We know what, what's there. Obviously, Nelly went. No, I'm going to be positive, and I'm going to go for fifth. And then, and then we had the person who was drinking, I don't know, a cup of cold meths or something or other, who'd, who'd gone for sixth as well. There, there seems to be realism about this, and I, I like that. I like very much indeed. I really do. But if you're going to be, if you could, and you want to get down the bunker and let us know the answers to to the questions, because I'm going to tell everybody what question I'm going to be asking the next home game outside the bunker or in the bunker. Who knows? We can do both. And that's going to be the bunker question for, for the next game. It's going to be, who is everyone's favourite player, excluding Luther, John Barnes, or Troy? So who is everyone's favourite player of all time, excluding Luther, Barnsey, or Troy? And as a supplementary question, who is everyone's favourite player out of Luther, Barnsey, and Troy? And we will see what people think. That'd be a good one to hear. There you go. Yeah, you won't be able to miss miss Peter because he's got a rather large microphone in his hands. <laughs> one doesn't like to boast, but yes, well, absolutely. No, it's, a, it's a thing of wonder. Yeah, do come over and give your opinions on that. It'd be great to get some more voices on here. We actually heard some voices on there that we don't hear on Spaces, actually. We don't tend to hear Carl Campion on Spaces, and there's a couple of other voices on there that I haven't heard before. So that's that's good as well. That's um, the idea. Yeah, that's, right. that's try and hear from as many people as possible, even if they're just saying one word. It doesn't matter, really. But also, whilst I was there, it was quite opportune. If you were walking in, basically from the car park past the bunker and you saw a load of Spanish-looking people, there was a very good reason for that. And I had a conversation with a guy called uh, Jean about it, who happened to be there, just to find out what was going on and something related to the club. Here we are. So your name is? Jan, Jan de Olivero. Lovely stuff. So we've got basically outside the bunker, there are a whole host of, uh, of Spanish students. They're from all over the world, but yeah, a lot of them will be from Madrid, Spain. Okay, so this is, this is a this is an exchange program, or is a is a, a visit over? Is that they just come over, or are they linked to the club in any way? Is it linked to the club officially at all? A lot of them are from Madrid, like I said, and they're studying at the European University based in Madrid, and it's also in collaboration with Real Madrid FC, which have a collaboration with Watford to come and visit and see how different size club operate in England. 
Fantastic. So it's all coming over, having a look at the club and seeing what's going on. Brilliant. And what, what part do you play in this? Or did you just chat with them earlier on? So I'm a student, actually. I'm an online student. So I'm not based in Madrid. I'm based in Belgium. And yeah, we're just seeing how the marketing side operates, how the business side, how the transfers work. Just every single size and facet of the business of a football club and how it's run in the UK in comparison to Spain and other countries. Fantastic. Having obviously had to tolerate the kind of tawdry fare that a Real Madrid will offer, they'll be seeing they'll be seeing proper football today. But enough about Leicester. We'll also be playing, so never mind. <laughs> there we go. Brilliant. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. And there we go. You would think from his accent and excellent English that he is maybe from the States, but he's not. He's actually from northern France and basically just taught himself English watching American films. And that's why he's got the accent there, which is interesting. So there we go. Spanish students coming over from Real Madrid to obviously come and watch what we like to call proper football. I am intrigued how they found the bunker because there was an awful lot of them, actually. It was one of those days where you walk in the bunker and go, it's busy in here. Because I think I got there about half past one. And normally at that time, there's a few people kicking around. It doesn't get busier till maybe two o'clock. And I was thinking, God, blimey, it's busy in here. And it's full of these exchange students in there. So I wonder how they found the bunker. Like like most students, they have a GPS which will sense the the least expensive (laughs) beer outlet. And and one of the and in fairness, if if you are hacked off at prices, etc., you could do a lot worse pre-game than going down the bunker because there's a good there's a a reasonable variety and it's it's of good values. Well done to Roy and all the boys down there at the 1881. And of course, all the proceeds will go towards some of those displays when we can get back to that would be good. Speaking of which, obviously, also if you want to volunteer for the 1881, please do. Really interesting, though, hearing people coming across from Spain and saying, wondering how the marketing and how the transfers work. Of course, the big difference from Spain to England is we pay tax on those transfers. That's a nice big thing, obviously, to note. But other than that, it's good to see them coming over. It'd be nice to know whether or not there are equal kind of exchange programs for anybody in the UK going over to going over to Spain for that sort of thing as well. But there we go. So lots of questions, lots of things on the go. And we'll be marauding around with a microphone and maybe bringing you little snippets of what's going on. But now I think we need to turn to questions that may have been incoming via, is it X or Twitter? Because we still haven't decided where we sit with this. It's officially X, but you don't send an X, do you? You send a tweet normally. Yeah, it's very confusing. Thank you, Elon, for, for making life even more difficult than it really should be. I think maybe we should start with a little bit footballish type stuff. Uh, ah, good idea. This is from Glory Hornet. He says, if we've come full circle... Why don't we go back to the original model of loaning Udinese players like we did a lot of in 2012-2013? So I think what he's saying there is obviously the days of going out to South America and signing your Jao Pedros and your Richarlison's are over and you know, spurious purchases like Philip Zinkenagel, who you're going to play for three games and then move on. So why don't we go back to the original model, which was to raid Udinese and get players in on loan? Why do you, why do you think that is, Pete? There must be a reasonable explanation for this, right? Uh, is there? Uh, probably not. Are you actually allowed well, to? So uh, yes, you can. Yes, number? you can. There, there, there is a limit as to how many substitute. Oh, sorry, how many uh, loanees you can bring in from one club, and I think it's limited to four or something now. But as we can only have mm. five, five anyway. It doesn't matter because obviously one of the ones we did, we have got is Matthias Martins. They have got a Udinese Yao Ferreira because we haven't needed a right back clearly. Some <laughs> Deli Bashiru there, yeah, exactly. But. Okay, fine. He's over there. And there was the question as to whether or not they were going to make a a swap. And one of the things we thought about that was, ah, that would free up another couple of loans positions and maybe we could bring somebody in. And we spoke about this um, when we were talking talking through the transfer window that obviously the disappointment was. We didn't do that, but the thing that we did do to free up a, a second loan slot, because we had uh, four on loan, and then we made Chak Tadze permanent, which basically meant we had two free slots available for loanees, was the fact that we then never did anything to try to fill those positions. But yeah, a big frustration. It would absolutely make sense. The problem's going to be is that whilst we haven't got any money, I don't think Udinese have, are, are exactly flushed with cash either and have got... Uh, uh, some of their better players, including Delafeu, out with uh, out with injury at the moment. So I'm not sure yeah. whether or not that's a, a a long-term thing. What I would like to do is go back and, and and ensure that we are bringing in young players from within the UK or without. I'm really not bothered, apart from the fact that obviously we have to hit the homegrown numbers. So hopefully we will do. We were linked apparently with 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 one guy who is uh, a Cypriot 
international, but he's UK extraction, so it counts as homegrown from right. from Peterborough. But apparently, it didn't happen. Apparently, of course, it didn't happen. He's nowhere to be seen. So that something didn't happen. We made an offer supposedly, and it wasn't made in time, or they didn't get a replacement. Whatever. Anyway, making those purchases is good. In addition to that, obviously, you also do want to try to be bringing in ideally the next Richarlison, the next Despreia, the next whoever. Yeah, Pedro, of course. And of course, we did actually bring one across actually at the start of January, which was Hurtado, otherwise known as uh, Cabazas. But he went off on loan to Gillingham. He was one of the three that went He's doing really well there. Uh, Yeah, is he? He's basically had three little substitute appearances, lovely clips of him being, you know, wonderful and South American kind of wizardry stuff. And he, I think he won a penalty the other day. So he's performing well, but I think he's had about three quarters of an hour's worth of uh, game time in, in three games oh, so far. So he's coming yeah. off the bench and he's providing something. That's fine. That's fine. He'll learn stuff in, in League Two. And it's better that he get 45 minutes than him get absolutely nothing here. But that's, he looks, he looks like he might be a box of tricks. We just make, need to make sure that he gets some game time. Obviously, he's only been there for three games. So he might take a little while to play in. The clips look great, but you know what? I could do a video of me where the clips look good. Trust me, there'd be a lot. There'd be a lot of cutaways from the face going, "Oh, cool, he's quite good. He's quite. Oh no, he's quite ugly and fat. Oh, he's quite good again on the face." It's yeah. You wait. I hope he comes good. I'm just looking through the Udinese squad, and do you really want to loan back Isaac Success or Keenan Davis? Probably not. Or Hassan Kamara? Probably not. They've also got, as you said, Delafeo and the, the goalkeeper, haven't they? As well, his name oh, now escapes yeah. me, but we didn't. Bless him. <laughs> so, yes. so yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I think we tried that to death. Really, I don't think we need to revisit that. I think what we need to do is actually build a squad that's capable of competing in the championship and looking like they're interested. I mean, we have actually got past that. I think I don't know if you look at how we've been getting on since New Year. There does seem to be something that's not quite king now that was definitely clicking before New Year. There's something not quite right, and I can't quite work out in my mind why we're not quite as competitive or attacking or just all over the pitch quite as good as we were before New Year. I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's not great. Now, how many is it we've won since New Year one, is it? It's, Beat, one, um, in the, it's one in the league and also obviously beating Chesterfield in the cup. I will, great, see, I will see your new year. I will see your new year and I will raise you your favourite day of the year for football, Boxing Day. Because, of course, that's when we lost to... to Excuse me, to mm. Bristol City. We then drew 1-1 with Stoke, who were T-rank. Three all extravaganza at Plymouth, where defending was clearly not acceptable. Optional. We Optional, got, yeah. yeah, we got that 2-1 win at QPR. Now, that 2-1 win at QPR, I think quality of the goals from, from Livermore, they were great. You can't knock them. They were well constructed and brilliantly taken. But we weren't creating clear-cut chances. The XG, and we don't do stats, we leave that to the Buzz Buzz podcast guys, they, they know what they're talking about, we just sound idiots when we say it, but the expected goals from those chances were not high, he had to take them extremely well, and that was the one win. We then got one all away at Bristol City, we got a nil, which we all remember being really excited about with Sheffield Wednesday, and of course we've lost the last three against Cardiff, Leicester and Norwich. So if we go back... To, to there. Let's just deal with facts, shall we? Because obviously everybody likes a fact every now and then. If if we go back our last five games, we have not, we haven't won. And of course, you need to also throw in this, the Southampton game in there. So there's three defeats. We also lost the Southampton game. So that's actually four games on the spin if, if we take a look at it. One of the things that we did do was we brought in Emmanuel Dennis in from that time. Now, Reports have been that on the on the on, in the training and everything that he, he's working hard. He's not been a, a disruptive influence. But you wonder whether or not sometimes the equilibrium has changed. I think it's still worth a risk personally. I think it's still worth having something. But I don't think he's a left winger. But you sometimes wonder whether or not you just changed something. Has that upset the apple cart in some way? The manager came out and said, uh, "Oh no, I wanted him. I wanted him on the left, which is or on the wide areas because we wanted pace in between." I don't think that dog hunts I, I i'm sorry half of what val comes out and says i'm sorry it's good pr talk it's he's not gonna rattle the, rattle the cage and upset people but i don't believe half of what comes out i'm sorry i don't believe the the fact that he suddenly wanted dennis and that he was great but he didn't want him previously when everybody who's basically been to a game of football in the last few weeks 
will have looked at it and gone, Dennis down the middle is one thing, him out wide is another completely. It's, it's along with the, no, we really wanted to get the, you know, I want a tight squad, so we've brought it down from 24 down to 22, even though we were so energyless. And that, that's been what's happened over Christmas. A tight schedule has caught up with us. Ludicrous headline in the Watford Observer, not because of Andrew, but because he's having to say what he said, which was, it's not the squad, it's the schedule. Of course it's the fucking schedule. You need the squad. <laughs> Because you have the schedule. If you only play one game a fortnight, we can probably get away with 22. It's the fact that you're playing two games a week. Fuck me, that's ridiculous. Of course we needed to to strengthen the squad here. And that comes down to, it comes down to the strategy of the recruitment people. Now, we were told previously that the recruitment, and this was told to us via Giretta, who of course wasn't there by that point. He'd gone off for some Cypriot son and left an A4 piece of paper with Dennis's number on it on on Narnie's desk or something. Uh, yeah. it, it was Gino, it was Scott, it was Gioretta, and it was the manager or the head coach, Val. And quote unquote, we all had right of veto, which basically meant that everybody, if it wasn't quite right, could say no. And that doesn't translate quite the same way as saying yes. I want that player yeah. because if one person in yeah. four says no, if you've ever tried to arrange a night out where all four of you agree on where you're going to go, chances are you probably <laughs> stayed in. A camel is a horse designed by committee. And what we needed to have here was somebody who's got the the whole strategy and has plotted it out. And instead, what we've gone is we've gone from manga, being the chief scout, not making a great fist of it. That's been an unmitigated disaster of a, of a strategy. Gioretta, who's now exited the building, and now we've got Nani in. Now, the hope is that we will have a strategy now that Nani is in, and the credit has to go here. It's not credit, but a ray of sunshine to the question here. Could we not go back to when we first started and utilize that Udinese connection and loan players? That happened under Gianluca Canani, who's now in place. Now, if, he, if he's there and if he can do something, and if he's not, frankly, if he's not simply a stooge, then I hope he can do something around those, around that, the creativity, what we've got to do to bring these players in. But in addition to that, we've got to try to bring in young players. And that's why I went banging on after we saw the accounts about what we need to do from a strategic point of view. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to add any, anything to that really, apart from that the glitz and glamour of the Dennis arrival seems to be fading its shine with every passing game. I just don't think that was the answer to anything. I think it was a bit of a vanity. It's not even a signing, is it really? Loan that is just going to amount to nothing. He's not going to save our season. He's not going to bang in 15 goals. He's just going to run around and puff a lot and we're all going to go, well, goes Dennis as he goes back up the M1. But well, that's just my tuppence worth there. We didn't bring anybody in. We didn't bring anybody worthwhile in last January because we blew the money because Manga came I mean, in. He wasn't. I asked the question at Parlacci Gino, the, the fact that Ben Manga had said that he was hoping that Gino would learn to trust him. And I said, Gino, what does trust look like? For you and has he earned that and Gino went off on a wobbly about he needs to see and I went I paraphrased and said so you need to see evidence yes and I basically said to the room does anybody know how to say German Ben you're still on probation um <laughs> that's what I remember it did, didn't make the transcripts surprisingly my wittier sides never do quite right too but never mind it's <laughs> but that was the point you weren't even convinced when he was standing up in front of 80 people that actually no, we're really convinced with him. And he's been there six months then. Now you had you have that, it then jumps across to Giretta. Giretta was seemingly front and centre just before Manga departed for the Ryovic signing, if you recall. He was the one walking in and giving, yeah. giving him the shirt and it was all da da da. And Ryovic's goal tally has been impressive. We have to say it, we really do. But I think we all know what he doesn't give us in terms of the overall game and what it how badly potentially it affects the team. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's gone. Is that coincidental? Dunno. You be the judge. Hi, I'm Leah Williamson, and you're listening to the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. <laughs> at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Well, stay on squad for a second then. This comes from Paul Campion. Would you welcome Matthias Martins being signed permanently at the end of the season? With Martins, was he always on loan or did we have him and then sell him to Udinese and they loaned him? I can't remember <laughs> the, the origin. Yes, he's it's so confusing with this he, relationship. He's, no, he's always been on loan. So he'd signed again from... Fluminense, so he come from the same club as Richarlison and indeed Yao Pedro. So clearly there is a, a good connection there. And he went on loan, but he came to us on loan last year. And I think everybody went, meh, not really pulling up trees. But of course, he got somebody who's moved not just country, but continent, and is trying to get his head around various things. He started the season on fire down that left-hand side with a few, with a you know a couple of goals. And, and for all the fact that I don't really love the inverted winger formation, he was... He was the most likely to, you know, open a door, bearing in mind there seemed to be no cohesive plan as to what we do when we get in the other in the final third. Then perhaps what we need is individuals who can unlock unlock doors and gates. He did really well. He lost a and I don't, I don't know if it was a friend or if it was a, a family member earlier on in the season, which coincided with him dropping out of the team, obviously, because of obviously dealing with the grief of that. And it's been noted that he hasn't really recaptured his form since. In the meantime, since then, he's been moved across to the right. And basically, because they've been trying to uninvert the wingers, unsuccessfully, I would suggest, because the problem is that whilst I just described them as a winger, he is not a winger. He is a Brazilian left-sided attacking player, if that makes sense. He is not Nigel yeah. Callahan. He is not John Barnes. Nobody plays get to the byline and he's not put, pull it in. Or Barnesy. Who, who would you think he could be compared to? Uh, a very poor man, Jao Pedro. He is somebody right. who is looking... All, all the, the players who play that wide left air side basically try to emulate, for want of a better phrase, where Thierry Henry used to drop off into for Arsenal. Remember, he always used to drop off left yeah. and then pick the ball up and, and, and fly. He, he could do it from all over, but that was mainly where he did it. Suddenly, you had Martial doing it, obviously aping him from the French national side point. It's where Rashford now plays, where people think rather than trying to get to the line and then pulling the ball back, as we would see with Semmer on the left, what we're going to do is try and cut in. Now, as, as we've already said, if you look at Ryevich's goals, the majority of them have come from outswinging balls into the box. Even the one that, that against Norwich was Semmer there on the left. So for him, it makes more sense to play those wingers in an orthodox sense. But he's not. He's, his end product is not a cross. His end product is a straight pass back. Okay, and that no more than you did against QPR. So he tried to put a cross in for the second. What was for the second goal, and it got cleared, and then Livermore did it, and it was a nice one. The first goal, it had gone down the left hand side, and then he got the ball, and he looked up, and he basically played a straight pass back to to Livermore, who basically took it out of his feet, and then did that lovely curling movement to 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 make it uh, one all at the time, I think it was. So it was crossing the ball is not his suit. That's the point I make about him. Would I therefore want him in the squad? We've got 22 people, Justin. If we had any more injuries, you and I are playing in central midfield. We, I, yeah. I, I would, Do we need him or, or should we get someone else? I think that's probably the, the question. Should we let him go back to Udinese and try and fill perhaps a better suited player there? I mean, I'm not a massive fan of Martins. I think on his day, he can be amazing. And you think, oh, look at him. And then other days you just think, mm, he's not doing it for me. I, I, yeah. I'm not I'm not sold on him. If he went back to Udinese, I wouldn't be massively upset. Do you think we should keep him at the sake of bringing somebody else in? It comes down to, sorry to be so mercenary on it, but it basically comes down to, is he going to fit the budget? Fundamentally, that's what it comes down to. It may well be that there is a swap and therefore he's an affordable deal to do with Yao Ferreira, for example, because we, we might bring him in. But you also have to remember that at the moment he's up against Sema, but he's also potentially up against, as per the Norwich game, Dennis playing on the left. Dennis is going to go back. We've got Jamal Lewis down the left. Jamal Lewis is going to go back. So our left side suddenly gets absolutely weakened. And you can argue if, if, if Jamal Lewis goes back, weakens us or not. And you can say the same thing about Dennis as well, quite happy to boot. It's a question of how much money does it cost to bring him in versus how much can he deliver? I think he's. I think he might be worth the risk if the money's right. Because the question then isn't just we can maybe bring somebody else in. It's what can we get for that cash? Okay, this is a really good question, actually. This is from Ben Roberts underscore 09. Is football more boring? Basically, all about systems, unnecessary playing out from the back and coaching now rather than Mavericks. Also, are there less quality players around below the Premier League than ever before? I take a lot of 
um, sympathy from that. I think football has become more boring. There are less mavericks. You were talking about Thierry Henry a minute ago, and you also mentioned Cali and, and Barnsley. How would they have fitted into this sort of playing it out from the back football that we see now? I don't think they would have got any service to do the runs. I, I, I have sympathy with this. I think football has become more boring. It's not as exciting as it used to be to watch, in my opinion. Even if I think back to maybe the, the, the Boothroyd season where we went, we were just attacking for fun, scoring goals for fun, and we ran through walls for each other. And it was a really good team spirit. And there was none of this sort of nervously tippy-tappy passing it around in triangles at the back, back to the goalkeeper. You know, I just It drives me insane, all that. I think I've got a lot of sympathy with this. What do you think? I don't think I have sympathy. I have complete agreement. Absolutely. I can I think it's so absolutely spot on. The thing is, if you look at the evolution of football, and I'm talking back from the 1800s here, it has been going that way for literally 150 years. When the game first started up in, and yes, it started in Britain and because of empire, it then got pushed around the world, which is why you see many places where there are ports. The first thing that the British kind of sailors would do when they got off the off the boat, wherever they were, was they'd have a ball because as a sport, it was incredibly easy to transport and indeed export. And that's what happened. But before it went out, it was people started to play one at the back, two in midfield and seven up front. And, and oh, the kind of, I'd love to have seen this. The aesthetic of the game. The aesthetic of the game. This was all amateurism. And it was, no, you don't pass. It was more akin to rugby or even rugby league, where you pick it up and run and then you get tackled and somebody else has a go. And, and it evolved and it went to two, three, five. And this was seen as, oh my God, we're going incredibly uber defensive. We're putting two people at the back against the five people who are, who are going. It, it went through a whole host of stages especially since the 1930s that have been influenced by World Cups. You had the Austrian team that, that was taken and hugely influenced the team of the 50s from, from Hungary, where England was still saying, we're brilliant. And if you remember, Hungary, with Pushkas being the most famous one, turned up and beat a 6-3 at Wembley, and it was treated like a national mourning kind of day. And the reason it did was because they weren't playing in the formation. And it was like, hold on, this is what I do. I'm a right back. I play here. And we have we had a every single time somebody comes up with a tactical innovation, it means that people have to adjust. And then you got to four four two, and then you saw people like Crikey, we're talking twenty years ago, Alex Ferguson when he was playing in Europe was playing four five one, and everyone went, "Why are you doing that?" Because everybody knew what Man United were in in Britain when they were playing in England. You had Kanchelskis down one wing, or then Beckham, and you had Giggs down a wing, and you had two forwards, and it could be. Mark Hughes with somebody, or it could be York and Cole and all of this sort of stuff. Suddenly he went one up front because that wasn't the way the game was developing in Europe. So again, we've gone from literally seven up front to one up front over over 100 years. And it's kept with that since. The reason you played five in the middle then was because the ideal was the ball in the middle third far more than it is in the end third. So if you win the midfield, you win the game. But of course, what happens yet again is tactics innovate. And the thing that was that's seen some of the most beautiful football over the last 20 years, which was Pep at Barcelona, which was simply stunning and revelatory when he was playing what then became known as Tiki Taka. And of course, Spain went and won, I think it was two Europeans and a, and a, and a, and a World Cup. Yeah. But yeah. it, it was incredibly that because he had tactically and technically such superb players that they would attack in a really tight formation. Traditionally, the idea was if you attack, you expand, you open out so that there's more space for the defences to cover. And when you're defending, you mm. come back compact. They didn't do that because they had such good technical capability that they were able to pass tightly in small areas and somebody like clearly Messi would be able to see his way through. He went to Bayern Munich, he replicated it there. He started pushing, he had to hold Christ. He went with the inverted wingers. He went with, at the time, who did he have? Who did he have? Ribery. And, and who was the Dutch lad? Used to be at Chelsea. Name escapes me for a moment. And um, Robin. Oh, and Robin, thank you. Exactly. And he, in, he played them as inverted with Ribery on the, on the, on the left and Iron Robin on the, on the right. And it was a revelation, but people started to work it out. But they were also incredibly quick. So when, when it came to the time when we tried it and we had Will Hughes and Roberto Pereira, not so powerful, not so quick, not so good. <laughs> it didn't work. He moves to Man City and he keeps, he builds on all of the things he's done. And suddenly you're playing with one forward. And this was prior to uh, Haaland coming along. One forward and wide attackers 
who almost play as a wing-back. There was a conversation on Watford mailing list the other day as to whether or not Dennis was playing as a wing-back. And somebody said, no, he wasn't. He was playing as a left winger. And somebody said, yeah, but he spent three quarters of his time in our half in front of Jamal Lewis. And neither of those guys are wrong. You have that responsibility to get back when we're trying to play it. All of this idea about playing inverted inverted fullbacks. And so what's happened previously with these World Cup changes? If you remember 1990, when England were awful in the early stages, we flipped to three at the back, if you remember that. If you remember that. And we had success. Start the first five years of the 90s, everybody was playing three at the back because we'd seen it work. Therefore, we do it. People ape what they see as successful. And other than tactics are to go, we're up against that. What can we do to negate that? So what's happened... away from this kind of let's win the midfield is actually, if we're technically that good, we'll keep the ball at the back rather than midfield Mm. and we'll draw them forward and then we'll play in the spaces that we've created because we pulled them forward. You can do that if you've got Manchester City and you're paying £200 million in a a single transfer window. Those days are about four or five years ago now. Pep literally paid for four fullbacks, two left-backs, two right-backs and he paid £200 and everyone went, he's gone insane, what's he doing? And suddenly Mm. we saw the inverted fullback but the quality of him meant that he he could basically change the shape and the change of the dynamic. We're now trying to do that with Jeremy and Gakia. <laughs> no disrespect to Jeremy yeah. or to no. or to Tom Deli Bashiro who's trying to do it, but we we aren't doing it with the same level and opportunity. We're trying to play football, as are so many coaches at the moment, because they want to be seen as up to date and and they don't want to be seen as dinosaurs. In the meantime, people like Neil Warnock will come in and go and get results on the short term, do it quickly, rather than trying to pretend that they're they're peps. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I'll tell you one other person who agreed with you wholeheartedly would have been Graham Taylor, because he said he hated watching players play the ball across the back, because what he basically said was, it's a game for the working man. The working man wants to see excitement in in the box. So we try and get the ball forward and we try to get it in the box. And they worked on that all the time so that it was exciting. Yeah, no, I don't I don't disagree. It's I think we're probably going to see another tilt, another innovation when somebody works out how and what they've got to do against Pep's teams. Reaction to that has been the advent of Gagan pressing with Liverpool, who now basically don't consider losing the ball as the end of an attack, both at Dortmund and at, uh, and at Liverpool. The Gagan press, basically lightning, trying to win the ball back as early as, as possible, has seen them be effective against Pep. No other club. There's some positives, yeah. but it's a hard one, definitely. You mentioned Pushkas there. My only reference for Pushkas is a half man, half biscuit song called 1966 and all that, where they're actually mentioned in the song. Yes, it's a great song. The first verse is We sat and decided as the seasons divided that our love was fairly utopian. If it wasn't for my pills, my psychiatric bills and your unreliable fallopian. Now, you don't hear those sort of lyrics in songs every day, do you? Did, Check did, them out. Did, did they write, All I Want for Christmas is a Dukla Prague Awaken? Yes, they did. Quality. That's one of theirs as well. And, yeah, and same album, back in the DHSS. And with Toffs, which are the old-fashioned football shirt company who used to do an excellent Watford shirt that I bought in, in can you do it, 18XL? Yes, please. <laughs> which, they, the, one of their most common selling is... The Dukla Prague Awake It. Great band. Great band. The next question comes in from Alan Tarrant. With regards to the financial state, do you think the women's team is costing the club much? If it is, do you think it would be wise to no longer have one and reinvest the money into the academy to increase the potential for our player trading model? I would imagine that the women's team is its own concern. Do they appear on the accounts, the women's team, or have they got their own? There must be their own entity, surely, right? Honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, genuinely, that'd be worth, be worth having a chat with with Helen, with Helen Ward over over a, over a coffee and a brownie, maybe who knows, and <laughs> and, and finding out. I know that the club subsidise the coach travel. It's well, we're talking penny here. Aren't oh we? yeah, no, we're not talking a, a huge investment. But the the other question is who's paying for the actual coaches? Because obviously you've got Damon Lathrope and his assistant, whose name I do apologise, or but all his team, obviously. But both of those work at the academy. So whether or not that's part and parcel. But again, it's not going to be when we're talking about losing £500,000 a week, we are talking about a severely small dent in making that. I made a bigger one to the bottom of my stairs the other week. So it's... it's <laughs> I'll be careful yeah, going I mean, down the stairs at your age, Peter. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> Trust me, I went quickly but for once. It was... Can't, I can't answer the question in a non-biased way because uh, I go, go along and I enjoy the uh, the, the women's team who are uh, still this season, when it's been a difficult season, are still, are still absolutely worthy following and worth watching. 
but I do understand. But I think there are bigger areas that are going to need to be looked at and cut more than the women's game. And I don't just mean that because I'm trying to be defensive, but in terms of the amount that we're trying to do, it's not like we go, okay, we've come down, we've got this, right, well, we'll cut the women's game and that's done. It's more serious surgery yeah. required. I'd be surprised if the two things are conflated, to be honest with you. I just, I can't see the women's team being any kind of drain on resources, to be honest, even if it was under the same umbrella, I just don't see it. Let's move on to something a bit more frivolous, shall we? This one comes in from Gary Wood at Vinyl underscore Music. What smell do you really dislike? Mine are sweet corn, pute and bin juice. Yes, yes, there's three things that perhaps I wouldn't really want to sniff either. <laughs> uh, one thing that does really make me laugh, like just literally spontaneously, is watching dry retching. I just, there's something funny about someone what? getting a pong. Yeah, getting a pong up there and going, that's it. I'm on the floor laughing. There's a, a wonderful, it's not wonderful, video I've seen on YouTube a couple of times of a woman changing. I think she must work in a caravan park and she's changing those cartridges that are full of sewage from the caravan into some sort of industrial toilet or something to put it back again. And she's dry retching like a good one. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And the other one is the Sostroming, that awful strong fish in a can. Ooh. I don't even think it's legal to import it. Dead shark or dead herring that's been fermented for 10 years or something. It's a delicacy in Iceland or something. If you ever go onto YouTube and put in Sostroming opening, there's, it's full of people that are going, oh, it shouldn't be that bad. And as soon as you go in the can they're literally dry retching for about 10 minutes going oh it's so bad so uh, I've never smelt so stroming but I reckon that must be pretty grim yeah so in terms of smells things I don't like like Chinese food if I smell that I'm like oh god no I don't like sweet so I imagine I probably wouldn't like the smell of that but yeah if you can binge you so anybody's really into that to be honest with you there's anything that really I'll, I'll tell you one thing once I was on a this is a slightly different thing sorry I'm just remembering a guy I was on a committee with once years ago and he had a, an allergy to TCP and he said he only had to have a sniff of it and he'd faint. And it could, it could also be almost if someone was like, had a dab on where they had a bit of a cut or something, go, oh God, TCP. And he'd go on the floor, just faint. Yeah, keep away from that. But anyway, any any smells that you really <laughs> don't agree with you, Peter? I may have mentioned in the past that when I lived at home many moons ago now, pretty much with my mum and also with my grandma, I had a kind of a law of a rule that I wouldn't eat anything that, that originally looked like a tree or a bush, basically, because that involved basically broccoli, kale and cabbage. And after I left home, they went, you're now eating lots more vegetables. Why is that? And so I asked them the same question at the same time. I said, how long do you cook broccoli for? And in it, yeah. literally at the same time, my gran went an hour and my mum went 45 minutes. And it was like mm, the smell of cooked greens when they've decided to put it basically, all oh, right, we're having a Sunday roast. We better put the greens on around Wednesday. That makes me absolutely <laughs> hurl. And as I have said before, when we were having a discussion about gravy, they used to use the greens water for the gravy. And I went, oh, yes. please just boil Green a water. kettle. This is this was before before we realised that every time she put the kettle on, the seal died. It was like, no, please let me just have gravy that tastes of gravy. Yeah, no, those smells. You're right. I can just picture picture and smell them now. And yeah, nobody wants that smell. Absolutely terrible. Yes, I'm with you with those. There's a couple more questions that we'll go through before we before we say goodbye. There's another one from Carl Campion. Should referees walk out with a referee dressed mascot as well? I think that's a fine idea. The thing is that. Football referees, for me, I don't think anybody grows up wanting to be a referee, do they? I think it's one of those things where you may have been not the kid that wasn't picked at school, in the school football team, think, I'm having you lot, I'm, I'm now going to become a referee, and one day I'm going to referee your matches and I'm going to make sure that you get nothing going your way, you're going to get yellow-carded, red-carded. I always think people that end up becoming football referees, traffic wardens, uh, tax inspectors, these kind of people probably don't do it because they want to. They do it out of some sort of frustration in childhood. But yeah, rant over. So should referees walk out with a referee-dressed mascot as well? I'm for that. I think that should happen. I personally think that those mascots should run the line, basically. Walk out with two <laughs> mascots. Tr trust me, would make very little difference judging on the last few weeks. Stuart Atwell, big hello. Yeah, uh, no, no I, I like that idea very much indeed. I think all of those embittered souls who were going to go and become referees now become stewards, but there we go. I, I oh, actually took I took my referees badges when I was doing coaching because I thought I want to make sure that I understand everything that's going on and chances are I might have to jump in and, and ref a game. So I went and did it. And the first oh, thing Jimmy Hill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy well, Hill. Yes, yes, exactly. 
Jimmy Hill in 19, I think it was 1971, came on as the emergency linesman at a Liverpool versus Arsenal game, I remember. I don't remember, but I remember seeing the TV footage of him. And it was, so I went in and the the bloke who ran it, he was a nice guy in the end, but obviously you, you can understand that when they're running a referee's course, there's a certain level of kind of batting down the hatches they're coming for us. We we hate managers. They're all horrible. And he basically started off going, you'll have people telling you you don't know what the rules are and you don't know what the laws are and parents will do this and managers will do that. But none of them are here, are they? None of them are here. Anyway, why are you here? <laughs> I'm a manager and I'm sitting there trying to, let's prick that pomposity balloon right now, shall we? But he was actually a really nice guy, but quite interesting once you get to know them. But yes, there is a level that you do just go, Ugh. Absolutely. Steve hashtag Potso out. Why do people that go to away games give home fans the wanker sign and offer them out for a fight, yet they're 40 miles away in another stand? Good question. (laughs) Always wondered that. I think it's probably because they've got a whole row of stewards and a fence between them and the other lot. I imagine that if you were face-to-face with them in the street, they'd probably not bother you. But yeah, there is something a bit odd about all that. Standing up, giving it all that to the opposition fans is just totally unnecessary and very silly. It's not going to make any difference to the game on the pitch. It just makes you look like a bit of a turd, if you ask me. But see, have you ever... Well, we've all done it. We've all done it. You, yeah, you do look a bit sick, especially when kids are doing it now. When we're talking young kids, giving it the finger on that. Yeah, just pathetic, don't do that. But it's been a while since I've been away. Do Watford do that away? I don't know. We'd have to have Carl here, and he's, oh, he's uh, been uh, worried. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you only have to look at the vlog. Occasionally, a disembodied hand with a certain finger is raised towards the opposition. No, it's It happens. It's a throwback to... Yes, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s indeed as well, where that was part of it. Obviously, it's in some ways, it, it's a resistance to the gentrification of the game, shall we say. The crikey, I, I, we don't do many spaces when somebody doesn't point out the fact that your common or garden, not what somebody would describe as normal fact, is no longer welcome kind of stuff. And it's like, well, I've never understood it, but I, because I've been in love with and fascinated by the game more than anything, more than some Neanderthal deciding he's going to show, show his hands in a certain shape, which is like, oh, well done. When you get thumbs, you'll really be able to use those. And it's fine. <laughs> I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It goes on. But that's why there is a tribal nature football, which is where the passion comes from. And in a way, if you take that out, even if you're not one of the people who get involved with it, and I've never really been one of the people, there, there's an atmosphere there. There's a there, there's an element. Of, of tribalism there's an element of going into literally opposition territory kind of enemy territory do i go with it no do i think it's worthwhile doing not really do i think we could come up with with better songs or more songs shall we say or more singing or more organization or more creativity absolutely but the people who tend to go there and do the most singing that's not necessarily what they're into so they go away to games they they follow the, the club and the team and they support them in the best way that they think they can. Fair enough. I do think the atmosphere has been very flat the last few seasons at Vicarage Road. Some days you can hear a bloody pin drop. I actually heard the players shouting at each other the other day. I, like, I shouldn't be able to hear him shouting at him. There should be a crowd noise over the top of that. And we've done to death the whole sort of lack of songs thing. And and the reason why I think there's a lack of songs is because I don't think there's players worthy of having songs. Although Jake Livermore's got one now and whatever. But no, I just think the atmosphere has been absolutely dead at the football for the last few seasons since COVID. It's just been like almost silence. It's, it's horrible. I, I miss the days of constant singing and... Even if we're going to go back to the whole ah thing as a goalkeeper's about to take a goal kick, although that doesn't seem to happen much anymore, does it? You seem to pass it out to a fullback who passes it back to you and then you pass it out to somebody else. So maybe well, it, that's why that's gone away as well. well. It, it's funny because you get some clubs who turn up and you go, I think the 1980s have been on the phone and they want their chance back because I'm fairly mm. sure we were singing those in the 90s and we've probably gone on to something else maybe or, or maybe we haven't. Maybe we need to bring some of those things back. But I think the acoustics in the ground don't really help. They never have done, especially well, with the open... There's a, there's a roof over everything now, right? Yeah. So in the old days, there wasn't a roof over the Vicarage Road end for a start. No, You'd that, have thought no, maybe having that, a roof over it would help them. That's noise, very right? true. But it doesn't get rocking. The volume doesn't increase unless, for example, the Elton John stand get involved. and the Sorry, uh, the Elton John or indeed the, the Graham Taylor get involved. And they don't naturally get involved from the side. It just doesn't really happen. Against Leicester, there was at one point when they were chanting, you're supposed to be at home. And we were literally singing 1-0 and you still don't sing at them. Because from either end, you don't actually pick it up. 
for me, the away fans are far louder than the 1881, but that's because I'm sat in proximity yeah. <laughs> to them, you know. Yeah, so true. I can't really comment well, on how much Watford create because other people who are in the rookery say we were really loud, they weren't. And that's what I mean about the acoustics. You don't get a well, balanced understanding of how it quite is in the ground. I don't know if it's something to do with the corners or uh, or, or what it is. but uh, my, my seat in the lower Graham Taylor is actually between both. Yep. So I can hear both almost equally. And even when they are giving it some, it's just not got the level of noise it used to have, I don't think. It might be me getting up, might be getting deaf. That's very possible. You, you also um, have to accept that you will always have a louder away end than you do a home. Because when we do the when we do the spaces and the game's been away, quite often you will hear that. Now, it might just be TV mic placement. So you're picking up the... But pretty much what happens is, as we were talking about, those guys who are going in, and even if they are flicking visa at the opposition fans, They've gone, they've travelled, they may have had a couple of beers, they're going to go and enjoy themselves no matter what, and they will try and sing. And that's normally why you will see that. And they're all cordoned into one kind of smaller area, and that encourages it. The problem with the home team is that your fans are all over the place and actually mobilising them isn't easy. We saw that, and this is why the 1881 started, at the playoff final at Wembley when Crystal Palace got their singing section or whatever it was in the one place we were all dispersed and if i remember rightly i think roy was sat up somewhere listening to it and was equally placed and thinking why are they all getting everybody else going and we're not and that was the the initial kind of start off for it but as we said earlier on those guys in the 1881 they need help with the voices and doing other things i definitely think there is a play what's the phrase a benefit from doing those from doing those tifo displays in good creative ways but i appreciate that takes money it takes organization it takes helpers but but there we go We'll finish with FC Chef. Which current Watford Football Club players would you take on in a three-legged race and be confident of victory? Would you take on in a three-legged race and be confident of victory? I think he's talking about players that don't move around very much. So I think the obvious one is Ryovic. If I was going to be strapped to another player and be confident of winning, you'd want to you'd want to Jake Livermore. He's, uh, he just there's something about him that makes me think he'd be very good in a three-legged race. I don't know why. This is getting very deep and <laughs> disturbing now. I might decide whether to not give you that bit of audio to put out. So, yeah, so who would you be confident of beating in a three-legged race? I think what I would do is I would put both Ken Semmer and Edo Kayembe, and I would I'd just be, I'd go, don't worry, I'll tie up the legs, and I would tie up both of their left legs together, and then they would realise they were looking in the opposite direction, and effectively all they would do is go around in circles. That would be perfect. (laughs) In fact, it would perfectly replicate Edo Kayembe's first 18 months at the club, to be quite frank. That's fine. Anyway, <laughs> enough of that. Exactly. Brilliant. Very good. Just so you know, we are going to be talking to Mr. Andy Collins on Monday. Looking forward to that. Request to come on and have a rant, which is always fun. Listen out for that. We'll be talking to Andy on Monday. That'll probably go out some point early next week, midweek. So the game on Saturday is away. Obviously, you and I aren't going to that. Carl's not going to that. Enjoy the game, everybody. Safe travels to and from Rotherham. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for listening. You owns. You owns. Ah. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? <whistles> At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.